0: you to adore you and and now as we continue to worship you as we open your word may your word be that which fashions us this morning that by your word by your spirit you would change us mold us and shape us into the men and the women that you want us to be we are in need of a fresh work of your spirit desperately and Lord, you know exactly what we need to hear. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And If there's anyone that does not know you this morning, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. And so thank you. There's no other name like yours, the most beautiful name. And so, Lord, have your way in this place for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Chapter 15, verse 1, here's what God's word says. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them... The wrath of God is complete. So I want to just stop there for a moment, and because now the chronological sequence in the Book of Revelation starts back up again. Remember, we've been looking at an intermission, a pause, uh, uh, a parenthetical break, if you will, where God has been giving us more information concerning this seven-year period known as the tribulation period that will be in the future. It is a time of unprecedented pain, suffering, trial that will happen. It will be global. It will be worldwide. And I like to remind us, I know I've probably done it every single week, but it's good to be reminded of this. We're called to remind one another of this, that we are not appointed unto wrath that Jesus will come and rescue us before that time period. Um, It's called the rapture of the church. If you're not familiar with the biblical terminology of what that's going to be, Jesus said that he's going to come back. His return for his bride will be imminent. Um, That means it'll be at any moment like a thief in the night. Thief comes, what, unannounced, right? There's no heads up. At a time when you're not looking for it, Jesus will show up. And what's the promise that he gave us? that he's gone to the Father's house to prepare a place for you and for me. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And that's, we're called to comfort one another with those words, that we are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He took the wrath that we deserved. For our sins, when he suffered on the cross. And so we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we are no longer under God's wrath. We are now his blood bought children, which is glorious to be reminded of this morning. And so the tribulation period, remember, as we've studied this in chapter 6 through 19, there's a series of judgments that will be happening. And now, as we read this verse, the judgments are about to be wrapped up. It's the end of the tribulation, the last three and a half years. Um, and so, notice what it says with me: the final judgments, as God removes wickedness and wicked ones, He's fumigating planet Earth. He's going to bring He's going to bring the beauty of heaven to Earth at His second coming to set up His kingdom, and it's going to take some pain. It's going to take some some. Uh, some suffering to bring about the beauty of heaven to earth, and it's not going to be pretty. So look what it says to me there in verse 1. John John the apostle writing here. And and remember, he's doing the best he can to describe what he is seeing. As he's been given the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's doing the best he can to communicate to us the things not only that he sees, but also the things he hears. So let me draw your attention to that verse. John says what? I saw yet another amazing, what does it say, Uh, great and marvelous, an amazing and awesome sign where? What does it say? In, In heaven. And what was this great and amazing sign, this marvelous sign that he saw? Seven angels that are carrying with them the last plagues. The final seven plagues, these are what's known as, which we'll see in chapter 16, the final bowl judgments, the final set of judgments that will happen on planet Earth. Um, And notice what it says with me in the end of that verse. For in them, in these seven last plagues, the wrath of God is what? What does your Bible say? Is complete. So these last seven will wrap up God's wrath. In other words, his wrath will be over. It will be filled up, kind of like when you fill up a cup, right? It gets to the top and then spills over. You're done filling it up, if you will. His wrath will be over. And so a couple of things. Number one, if these are the last plagues, you know what that means? Then there must have been more previously. Last indicates there were previous plagues. And in fact, the plagues began, you remember with me in chapter 6, with the seven seal judgments, you all remember that? It was like, what, a year ago or so? Seven seals, ju- right? Seven seals, Jesus took the scroll from the hand of the Father, began to open the seals, right? With each seal, a certain judgment or plague came upon planet Earth. The seventh seal introduced the seven trumpet judgments. You guys remember that? The seven trumpet judgments. And, it, and judgments began, the plagues began to ramp up. Right with more intensity. And so with the seventh trumpet we saw, it introduces the seven bowl judgments. And so these happen chronologically. And I think it's important to point this out. It says the last plagues, the wrath of God is complete. It's not just one big outburst of wrath. Here's the wrath of God. Boom! On planet Earth. I'm done. It happens incrementally. It happens sequentially, if you will. And so... The last plagues will finish up God's wrath on earth. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Why am I making such a big deal about this? I think it's like a super important point um, because God is patient and merciful. Amen. Amen. Aren't, Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's patient with you? Aren't you glad he doesn't fire you? Doesn't give up on you? that he's merciful. Aren't you glad that he has a new batch of mercies for tomorrow morning too, waiting for you? He is patient and he is merciful. In fact, Habakkuk, when he prayed and said to the Lord, Lord, in wrath, he recognized God's wrath, his judgment was coming. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you're gonna meet him one day. He said, in wrath, remember mercy, Lord. I was reading in Isaiah this week, in Isaiah chapter 5, I almost fell out of my chair. Because Isaiah is speaking to his people, to the nation of Israel, and it sounds just like us in the United States, just like our culture, calling good evil and evil good, and wickedness ramping up off the Richter, um, people hurting one another. Man hurting man, evil abounding and growing worse and worse and worse, and it says, and I quote Isaiah five twenty five, for all this his anger is not turned away, but check this out, but his hand is stretched out still. Is that amazing to you guys? His anger is not turned away, and his hand is still reaching out to rescue, to save, to deliver. Same way during the tribulation. That's why it's all not one big blast of wrath. God incrementally turns up the volume on the tribulation period. Why? Because he wants to rescue, he wants to save. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He does not delight in the death of the wicked, but there will be those that reject his love, reject the free gift of eternal life found In Jesus Christ. And so notice John says it's another sign. Signs do something, don't they? They point us to something or to someone. And so what is the something that these guys are pointing to? That judgment is coming. And I point that out because remember how Noah, how long did Noah minister? 120 years. You guys remember that? Building that, building the ark. Preacher of righteousness. And what was he saying? Listen, judgment's coming. There is a way to avoid judgment. There is a way to escape the wrath to come. It's by doing what? Putting your trust in the Lord and Him alone. There is only one name under heaven in which a man can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm I'm saying that this morning because why? Because listen, if you don't know Him personally, it is not an accident you are here this morning. God loves you. He doesn't want you to perish apart from him, nor to go through this gnarly time period that will happen on planet Earth because God keeps his word. And so second thing, just an observation. Notice these angels. When when John sees them, he says this sign, seeing these angels is marvelous. What did he say? Marvelous, great, and marvelous. Angels are powerful, and they are awesome. Angels do God's work, don't they? Do angels do God's work, y'all? Last verse in the first chapter of Hebrews, if you're taking notes. Last verse, Hebrews chapter 1. The author tells us, God tells us, that angels are ministering spirits that minister to those who will inherit salvation. Who inherits salvation? Anybody in this room? That's us. So angels are in some way, shape, or form, behind the scenes, sometimes on the scenes, working, serving on our behalf, helping us out. I don't know how that's going to work out. The Bible says we're going to judge angels one day. What does that even mean? Like, where were you, guardian angel, back there? (laughs) What does that even mean? But listen, God also uses his angels to bring judgment, too. Not only in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, but also in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. Remember when judgment was going to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent angels to bring judgment. In the book of Acts, remember King Herod refused to give glory to God and it was an angel that struck him and he was eaten from within with worms. Pretty nasty, don't want to gross you out before lunch. But there's a point that I'm making here is that angels, listen, and I think it's something we can learn this morning, angels serve God with unquestioning obedience. Even, listen, even when it's something that's hard to do. Bringing judgment's hard. Now I think about in our lives when the Lord asks us to do hard stuff, not necessarily bringing judgment, But the Lord asks us to do hard stuff sometimes, doesn't he? To choose to forgive, to choose to give grace, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. And the beautiful thing about Christianity for us, guys, is the greatest Christian that ever lived is living in your heart and in my heart. And he empowers us to do that, to help us to do that. As we take that step, as we trust and obey, we take that step of faith and we find what coupled with his commandments is the enablement, the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he asks us to do. And so angels, they are, listen, angels, they're awesome, they're powerful, but not as awesome and powerful as Jesus. In fact, it also tells us in the book of Hebrews that angels, all of them, all the angels of God worship Jesus. And so we'll talk more about that later. Look at verse two with me. Verse 2, what does John see next? And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, where are they? Standing on the sea of glass, what do they have? Having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. This is so awesome. So we catch a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. We learned some more stuff this morning about what heaven is going to be like for us as God's children, as the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's break this down. Look at verse 2. John, again, doing his best to describe what he sees next. And he says what? He says that something that looked like a sea of glass, this glassy body of water. If it's a glassy body of water, is it turbulent? No, it's kind of like what water skiers. They like a nice placid, right? Nice mellow water. That's the picture here peaceful, calm, but also it says mingled with what? What does it say, mingled or mixed with? Mixed with fire also. And by the way, back in chapter four, I think it's right around verse six, John saw this similar scene, this sea of glass, and it was all around the throne of God. So this is a heavenly scene. And who does he see? He sees the tribulation saints... Standing victoriously on this sea of glass. This is, isn't that a beautiful picture? Tribulation saints, these are the ones, these are the people, our brothers and sisters, that give their life to Jesus. They surrender their lives to Jesus after the rapture during the tribulation period. Are you, I guess, tracking with me? There's a bunch of people, tribulation saints we call them, that get saved during the tribulation. And we're given some information here too. Number one, they made it to heaven. Isn't that good news this morning? They made it. Hallelujah. Do you know that you're going to make it? Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? You're going to make it. Your life is in his hands. Your times are in his hands. But the world viewed them how? As a bunch of losers. The world viewed these people just like us often, too, people view us as losers. You follow who? Jesus, you believe that? You believe that Bible? Yeah, every word, man. Yeah, I'm going to follow him. Yeah, I am a loser. But I'm victorious in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm going to cancel you. I'm already canceled. It's, uh, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives. I'm crucified with Christ. Christ. I'm crucified to the world, the world to me. <laughs> My life's done. It's hidden in, in, in God with Christ. And so from the world's perspective, they're a bunch of losers. They didn't take the mark, right? They didn't do what everyone else is doing. Come on, everybody's doing it. Everybody's taking the mark. Everybody's falling. Look how cool this guy is, the Antichrist. He's so groovy. Look at him. Who is like him? Who's like the beast? Remember that? When he, when he, when he rises again from the dead somehow? But from God's perspective, what does it say? They won. They are victorious. And I look at this this morning that what about from our perspective? Is death a victory to you? Before you answer that, is death a victory to you? I ask that because we are so into self-preservation. Our lives, preserving our lives, saving our lives. Jesus said, don't save your life, lose your life for my sake. (laughs) If you want to find life and life eternal. Remember what the apostle Paul said, I think it's in Philippians chapter 1. The apostle Paul said he said for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I don't know what's best, for I am hard pressed Between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Do you guys catch what Paul's saying there? He's like, for for to me, I don't know about you, but for to me to live is Jesus Christ, to live full on, for him to sanctify the lord in my heart he's number one i'm living for him each and every day following him wherever he leads and guess what but to die is gain it's that's a victory for me it's not a bummer the best is yet to come i'm hard pressed between the two i desire to go home to be with the lord but what's best right now is for me to be with you to minister to you i think that's so beautiful as he says that there, and as we study our Bibles, as we get to know the Lord, as we, as we know his plans and his purposes, it is so freeing to know that Jesus conquered death for you and for me. He said, because I live, so you too shall live. Because so many people, even myself included, before I got saved, live in bondage to the fear of death. What's going to happen? Where am I going? I think I'm good with the big guy upstairs. Listen, if you're calling him the big guy upstairs, you need to make an adjustment and repent. Because he's the Lord God Almighty. Not the big dude upstairs. But it's Jesus who has removed that fear. He's the one that brings... Free- Jesus is so into freedom, isn't he? Isn't that beautiful? This is what the author of Hebrews, here's how he put it. much then, this is Hebrews 2... 14 and 15, And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise shared in the same, he took a body, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Yay! And, check this out, And release those who through fear of death We're all their lifetime subject to bondage. Isn't that beautiful? We need not fear death. We have the answer in the face of death. And what is it? We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I can know my last breath here will be my first breath with him. Because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Did you notice it's mentioned they have victory over four things in that verse? Four things they have victory over. Number one, what does it say? The beast. Who is the beast again? Who's the beast, y'all? The mm-hmm. The Antichrist. They got victory over the Antichrist. Number two, his image. Remember, it was the false prophet, right? That put together this this this, this image of some sort that comes to life. Right, perhaps even put in the Holy of Holies and, and, and as, the, as the Antichrist demanded to be worshipped in the rebuilt temple this idolatrous statue or robot or whatever it is is put up and everyone was forced to bow down and to worship this idol and they said what? we're not going to follow the Antichrist we're going to follow Jesus Christ we're not going to bow down to any idols and then look at third they didn't take the mark of the Antichrist on the right hand or on the forehead And remember what would happen if you didn't do that. No buying, no selling, sure death for you, being beheaded. And then four, look at it, they didn't do what? They didn't take the number of his name. What was the the number of his name? Six, six, six. In other words, you become just a number. Not different numbers. You become just a number. Can I remind us? that you're not just a number, that you are precious and valued in God's sight. You are, fearfully and, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not just a number. And that's what these people were saying. I will, I will praise Him. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not going to attach a number to my life like everyone else. I'm different, but I belong to the Lord. And they chose, they made the choice to follow the Lamb, Jesus Christ, wherever He leads. And listen, the world calls us losers, The world says we're narrow-minded. Listen, Jesus said something about being narrow-minded, didn't he? Did Jesus say something about being narrow-minded? In fact, he said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through who? Through me. But Jesus told his committed followers, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, that's scary, there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus said it, right? And people call us that. You're bigoted, you're narrow-minded and this and that. I'm glad that he has made a way for us to be saved, to be rescued. And so choose the narrow way. It's hard. It's difficult. But that's where life is found, gang. That's where life is found, and it leads to eternal life. And even now we have victory when we follow Jesus. He's the one who upholds us, right? He's the one, that, he's the one that's able to keep us from stumbling in our journey with him as we look to him and his word. But notice something else about these saints, these victorious ones. What do they have in their hands? What's it say at the end of the verse? They have what? They've got harps. These victorious ones have special instruments, God's harps, to do what? To produce amazing worship in heaven. Can anybody here play a harp? Just check in. We used to have someone that, that before they moved. Do you know you're going to be able to play a harp? Isn't that cool? No? With distortion? Just <laughs> n- not miss? You know, what this tells us something else. God has harps to give, but we're going to have new bods, new skill set. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? They got. Remember, they got. They were jacked. They got beheaded, messed up, right? Because they didn't take the mark of the beast and follow the antichrist. And they got new bods. Can I just remind us? You got a new bod waiting for you. Also, doesn't excite too many of you. That's, just wait. You know, <laughs> right? You get out of bed now. It's like snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> Do you, Some laughing because you know what I'm talking about. I'm looking forward to it. Old bod from the sod and the new bod from God. <laughs> Can't wait, Lord. Thank you. Jesus said, we're told in 1 John, when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. How glorious. With the ability to play beautiful worship music to the Lord. And notice they're singing again. And we're reminded over and over that they're singing in heaven. The victorious ones are singing. Music and singing is a big part of heaven. Worshiping and praising the Lord, I would say it's a big deal. It is a big deal, and this song that we look at in verse three and verse four, as we've learned about the other songs in Revelation, that was the hymn book for the early church. By the way, they learned these songs from Revelation, and when they gathered together, they would sing these, put these songs to music. You guys ever heard of the group Petra? Anybody remember Petra? They were like the rocker Christian group, eighties, right? They put this song to music. And it is sick. It's so good. But notice, so, so they're singing. You know, even now it's a big deal, praising and worshiping the Lord, isn't it? Because we are, we are to set, Colossians 3, we are to set our mind on things above. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And when my heart and mind are affixed on heaven, I can't, I can't keep the praise from not praising the Lord. In fact, do you know it's an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? Do you guys know that? Ephesians, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 5.18. Worship and praise to the Lord. That's an evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. It's an evidence, Paul says, of being filled with Holy Spirit. And we are to, he says to, we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, which is a waste, but be continually filled with the Spirit. And you know what it says next? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That tells me when I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm spending time with other believers. I'm connected. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Oh, <gasps> So if I'm a spirit-filled Christian, my life will be a musical? Absolutely. What's coming out is I'm praising the Lord. I'm singing and making melody in my heart. He's hearing the melody? Even though my voice is jacked up, it sounds beautiful to him. Amen? You used to tell me my my voice is bad. Okay, Okay, that's cool. Pray for me. People call the church, and you know what they say? Hey, is this that church on Carnegie? I think it's Carnegie Cemetery Road. Is that a spirit-filled church over there? (laughs) uh, Yes, sir, I hope it is. I hope hope everyone this week is spirit-filled. That they've come to the Lord and said, Lord, fill me up. Because listen, being spirit-filled is not a title, it's a condition. And we leak, don't we? Why do I need to be refilled? Because we leak, we pour out, we run dry, don't we? And so I come to the Lord and say, Lord, fill her up. I come to his his divine gas station. Lord, fill me up. I'm running on empty. (laughs) Lord, fill me up. What's coming out of me is not songs of praise and... Not speaking Psalms and hymns to everybody. It's more like Buffalo Bayou water (laughs) coming forth. And Jesus said, Come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Our life becomes a refreshment to others, and it blesses the Lord as we're singing to Him. And so, singing, I would say, is a big part of our walk with the Lord and praising Him. We too are victorious, aren't we? In Christ Jesus, we celebrate Him. So, what is the song that's being sung? by the victorious ones. Well, let's look at this. It's the notice the song has two titles and it's connected with who? Both Moses and who's the lamb? Jesus. Jesus. So this song is connected to Moses and it's connected to Jesus. Well, Moses had a couple of top hits, didn't he? Did did he? Yes. Let's go all the way back to Exodus Remember when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt? They get out into the wilderness right at the Red Sea. You remember this? At the Red Sea, they're pinned down. They've got water in front of them and behind them. Here comes Pharaoh and all the boys on their chariots. Here comes the army. They're toast. We're done. They cry out to the Lord. Did the Lord come through? He parted what? The Red Sea. And the children of Israel cruised across on dry land And then what happened? They made it safely to the other side. Here comes the Pharaoh and their guys are doing donuts because their wheels were all jacked up. They get in the middle and water knocks them all, wipes them out. Song of deliverance. Remember what happened? They get to the other side. Miriam's got her tambourine, She's a little Pentecostal, got the tambourines going, all the gals. And it's the song of Moses. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. (laughs) And by the way, there's people that question that, like deep theological thinkers. They say, it couldn't have been the Red Sea. It was in this location. It was actually the Reed Sea, and the water was about that deep. And you know what I say to them? Hallelujah, that's an even greater miracle, that the army got drowned in mud. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that with me. Moses had another top hit. Remember the other one? It's right before the children of Israel went into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And if you're taking notes, you can find it in Deuteronomy 32. It has a, that song has more of a prophetic edge. It, it proclaims the Lord's greatness, his works, his ways, but also it has more of a prophetic edge to it. Moses also wrote Psalm 90, another song of Moses. But then it's like, what about this song of the Lamb? When did Jesus sing a song? Did Jesus sing a song ever? Did Jesus sing a song ever? (laughs) Listen, if you're sleeping right now, don't try to fake me out, by the way. Like you got the. Because I know which one of you sleep in this place. You know what happens? I look that way, and you know what happens? Here's, Here's what happens. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> amen. And it's in, the wrong, it's in the wrong place, the amen. Did Jesus sing a song? Matthew 26. He sang it with his disciples. As he was headed, his hour had come, hour of darkness. He was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, then to the cross. All that he went through for us, he's singing a, psalm, a song, of the, a song of the Lamb. And so we're given now the words of this song. It's connected with Moses. It's connected with Jesus. And the first line, look what it says to me, declares how special God's works are. Aren't his works special? Have you found that in your own life, that his works are special? They are great and marvelous. They are amazing and awesome. And he is the Lord God Almighty. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. That's what that means, Lord God Almighty. His works are not just average. His works are not so-so. His works are not just okay. They are great and marvelous. And I hope you guys have found that. Because when you find that his works are great and marvelous... All you want to do is thank him and praise him. <laughs> Lord, you're so awesome. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing me, Lord. The work that you did. Remember the demoniac? You guys remember the demoniac at Gadara that got set free? You guys remember that? Jesus sent the demons into the what? The swine, swine lake, right? That's the story. Deviled ham. You guys heard this already? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I heard another one mass case of suicide into the, (laughs) But remember, Jesus sets him free. And what did he want to do? He says, Lord, take me with you. I want to just be with you. And what did the Lord say to him? No. I want you to go home to your friends, the people you hung out with, and go tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you and all the great things he's done for you. You go tell him. I want to know how to share your testimony right there. Has God had mercy on you? Has God done great things in your life? Great and marvelous works? That's something we can share to testify about. And so, number two, the second line declares how special God's ways are. So it goes from speaking about God's works now to... His ways, how special his ways are. They are always what? Just and true. They are always right on and they're always error-free. Just like him. He is always right on and he's always perfect in everything. He never makes mistakes. You guys believe that? Yes. He never makes mistakes. And he is the king of the believers. Look at that. Oh king of the saints who are the saints that's us believers followers of the lord jesus christ remember the thief on the cross started out ragging on jesus and then he had a change of heart right he repented and said lord remember me when you come into your kingdom he has a change of heart a change a a change of mind a change of direction he couldn't get down and get baptized or do good works all he had was what his heart and his lips to confess And what did Jesus say? Surely, 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 assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. You're part of my... He said, I want to be part of your kingdom, Lord. And Jesus said, absolutely, today you're going to be with me in my kingdom. And so his ways are not flawed. They're not corrupt. They're not crooked. Everything, listen, everything he does in your life and in my life is right on everything he never lies he always tells the truth and i would say this morning do you know and believe his ways are just and true let me ask you again do you know his ways i think it's it's an important question to ask ourselves do we know his ways oh we know his works hallelujah great and awesome but the way that he operates the way that he does things In fact, Moses prayed that. Moses wanted to see the glory of the Lord. Show me your glory, Lord. And if you go back and study that, he also says, Lord, show me your ways that I might please you in all that I do. Teach me your ways. It's awesome because later in the Psalms, it says about Moses, God made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Listen, if you don't know his ways, it's okay. You can ask him this morning. Just like Moses, the servant of God, that amazing servant that we read about, that amazing man of God, he asked, Lord, teach me your ways. I want to know how you operate. I want to know your heart. And then when we do, we find out that everything he does is right on in accordance with his character, in, in accordance with his word. And so not just recognizing the stuff he does, but how he does the stuff that he does. Look at the third line, verse 4. A question is asked, and three reasons are given why God should be feared and glorified. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? What does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear? What does fear mean? Does that mean I put my tail between my legs and scamper around? Run away from God? No, that's right, dude. Fear means to have reverent respect, to honor God. What about to glorify the Lord? We, we hear that, we throw that term out, don't we, often as Christians? We're just going to glorify the Lord, man. I just want to glorify the Lord. I get that, but what does that mean? Oh, bam! yeah, it's more than that. It's to make Him look good, simply. If you want to glorify the Lord, it's to make Him look good, in fact, so what's the question? Who in their right mind would not honor you and make you look good? Because the opposite of fear is to disrespect, to dishonor. The opposite of glorify is to make look bad. And there are plenty of people that diss the Lord and make him look bad. But as God's children, as his people, we should, that a people that honors him, we should honor him and make him look good, shouldn't we? Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 2:9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special, if you got a king Jimmy, peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In light of all that God has done for you and me, making us his very own special people, royal priesthood set apart for his use, what are we to do? We are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallowed, Jesus said, Hallowed be thy name. His name is to be hallowed in our lives, to be feared to be honored, to be glorified. What are some good reasons to honor God and make him look good? Look what it says to me. There's three reasons right in the text. We don't need to guess. Number one, for you alone are holy. You are the only one who is holy. You are the only one that is set apart from everything and everybody else, everyone else. In fact, there is the creator and then there's everything else, the creation. He's holy. He's unique. No one else is like him. Can I remind us this morning that his love is holy? Do you know that all his attributes, he's holy? He doesn't love like anyone else, does he? Does he love you when you've been good? How about when you've been bad? Does he still love you? What about us? How are we do in that department? We we fail quite often, don't we? Let's just be on can we be honest in church this morning? Be lying in church. We can fail in that area. But God is holy. His love is holy. How about His care? His care is holy. There is no other care like His care. It is unique. It is glorious. Have you guys experienced His loving care in your life? His provision is holy. It's unique. There is no other provision like it. How He provides and how He takes care... Take care. It takes care of us, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, He provides, and I was like, "Oh Lord, thank you! How could I ever doubt You?" His protection. You guys experienced the holiness of His protection. There's nothing like it. I think how many times, Lord, have You protected me from myself, but from bad stuff, Lord? You're so good. His kindness is unique. He's totally unique in his righteous judgment as well. He knows all the details. He has the full picture. Our judgment is is not righteous, typically. We don't know the full picture. We come down on people, don't we, so easily. But not the Lord. He's holy in his righteous judgment as well. And so he is unique with everything that he does in our lives. That's part of his ways. That's how he operates. It's important to understand that. So when you wonder, man, why is this going on? What's happening in my life here? You, You look to what you know about him, about his love, about his care, about his provision. And we find that in the word of God. And in heaven, what are they saying around the clock? Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. There's no one like him. Number two reason to honor God and make him look good. What's the second reason? In the verse, for all nations shall come and worship before you. Because you are the king of saints. When you set up your kingdom, all nations will gather to your throne and declare your worth. That's what worship is, to declare worth. Ascribe worth to. All nations will declare your worth with their lips and their lives. I just want to remind us the Old Testament is chock full of references concerning the nations gathering to Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. When Jesus comes, Revelation 19 His second coming to this earth to set up his kingdom, and all nations will gather to him to worship him, to praise him. If you're taking notes, Zechariah 14, you can read the whole chapter. I don't have time to read through all the verses, cross references. Get out of concordance, look up nations, see how many nations come and gather around to worship him. It's a reason to sing praise, it's a reason to worship him, to thank him, to praise him, even for us too. Are we going to be part of that kingdom? You sure? Yes, thank you. In fact, remember back in Revelation 5, 9, and 10... The song that we're going to sing when we're with Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on thee. We shall reign on the earth. So when Jesus has set up his kingdom, ruling and reigning on earth, guess who else gets to help be a part of that? Us. He shares with us the privilege of reigning with him. What does that look like? I have no clue. Do we deserve it? Absolutely not. It's by his grace. And he's going to allow us to do that. But it's reason to sing, isn't it? To thank him. I can't wait to see what that's going to look like. I got dibs on Maui. I don't know about you. (laughs) because <laughs> that's where I got maui Tanya and I. <laughs> oh, October, 29 years. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Third reason. Check it out. Third reason. He said, here's the third reason, right? It says to honor God and to make him look good. For your judgments, your righteous decisions, your righteous deeds have been manifested. In other words, there's no denying that your righteous decisions, your righteous deeds have been revealed. You, we could see what you got, Lord. You've shown it to us. You've revealed it, manifested it to us. Your judgments are great and marvelous, just and true, just like you. Can I just point this out? These tribulation saints, how are they treated? Were they treated pretty well? during the tribulation were they treated pretty well they couldn't buy they couldn't sell scorned mocked perhaps beaten martyred did they go through some gnarly stuff would you say is that like general consensus we are in agreement it wasn't like tiptoe through the tulips and Sing kumbaya. It's heavy. And so now they're in heaven. New bods. Harps and hands. Singing this beautiful song on their lips. Please, just an observation. There's no complaining, no griping, no whys. Why'd you let that happen, Lord, back there? Oh, we followed you. How could you? You guys ever say stuff like that? Why would you allow this? No, again, don't be lying in church. We can do that, can't we? Question God. It's best if you just do it between you and him, by the way. Be real in your prayers. Not be a phony, but just let him know where you're at. There's no, there's no poor memes. Because we can get that way, can't we? Had the poor memes. Things get hard a little, right? What's our tribulation like? No buying or selling, head about to go on the block. But, but listen, they see the big picture. And as they look back, they're like, Lord, everything you've done is righteous and true. Everything you've done is right on. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. He got it right. God, you got it right. Listen, God always gets it right. Always. What a great song for us to sing. Aren't God's works great and marvelous? Aren't his ways just and true? Hasn't goodness and mercy followed you all the days of your life? Can I just encourage us this morning? There are times, listen, I don't want to like downplay difficulty, tribulation with a small t, not a big T. We go through difficulty. And there are times, listen, I I've, I've gone through trials. I'm still going through a trial that it's even hard to tell which way's up. And when there's things that we don't understand, we don't know why, you know what we need to do? Let me encourage you this morning. Here's what we need to do. We need to lean on the things we do understand, the things that we do know about the Lord. That He does love you. He does love me. And that He is working all things together for good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. All things are working together, not for so-so or mediocre, for good in your life and in my life. And he's begun a good work in you. He's going to complete that good work. He has plans and purposes for your life to prosper you, not to harm you. We get in problems when we go and do it our own way. And then we start asking, why, Lord, why am I in this jam? Because, Mike, you're a knucklehead, dude. You did it your own way. But it's like, okay, I don't understand. I can't tell what's, what's right, what's down, what's up, what's... Lord, I'm getting spun around. You go right back to what we do know about the Lord. That he is good. Everything he does is righteous and true. Did you guys notice it's the song of the Lamb and it's the song of Moses? Did you notice the phrase that's attached to his name? What does it say? Moses the what? The servant of God. Are you a servant of God? Then guess what? This is a song that a servant of God would sing. You sing this song, no matter what's going on. Man, you're in good company. This is the song of Moses, the servant of God, the doulos, the bond servant. Lord, I've surrendered to you. My life is in your hands. A servant is someone who exists to do the will of his master. And notice it's also the Song of the Lamb. That's important. Because he's the one that we're aiming at with our praise and worship. The Song of the Lamb. Why is it called the Song of the Lamb? I think one reason, is because it needs to be aimed at Jesus. All of our praise and all of our worship. Not at us. Like so often, praise and worship music does, right? Because we're such a consumer church. Not this church, in general. It's all about me. What am I getting out of this church? What's the, I don't like that song. Are we going to sing that song again? That's a, that's a what do they call it? That's a 7-Eleven song. You know how many times I've heard that? You know what that means? Seven words sung 11 times over and over and over again. Are you going to get tired in heaven when holy, holy, holy is being sung over for all eternity? Probably not. Because who's worship for? For Jesus, it's to be aimed at Him. This is the song of the Lamb. He is the worthy one. Amen. Amen. It's all about Him. I, I, I read this, you know. I, I read this, and their focus is purely on the Lord, not even on their own costly and glorious victory. It's all about Him. May it always be about Him. May we always sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. May he be number one with our hearts and minds affixed upon him in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage. These, Lord, great reminders of of what's ahead. But, Lord, along the way as we walk with you, as we follow you, thank you for how you work in our lives. Thank you for your ways. Forgive us, Lord. Sometimes we doubt, sometimes we complain. And really all complaining is is against you. Oh God, forgive us. That we would be grateful for the portion you've given us. And that we would take what you've given to us and trusted to us and give it back to you with praise and thanks. Knowing that you are at work in our lives. The Lord God Almighty, the King of Saints, the Lord of Lords. the one who is faithful and true. And so thank you, Lord. Have your way in us and through us and amongst us. Do your work. Help us to know your ways even more that we might walk in your ways and bring you glory. And as we're still in an